This is Repmo Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of Repmo Radio, where we hear from people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love. If you or someone you know has an interesting job, hobby, or a story to tell, reach out to me on Facebook or send an email to jake at repmoradio.com. On this episode, you'll hear from Republic residents Mark and Heather Preby. As most of my listening audience is likely aware... Officer Preby was intentionally run over outside of the Springfield Police Department last year. Many people only know of Mark and Heather through the lens of the public outpouring of support after that horrific act. So while we do discuss it, I also wanted to know more about how they met, their family, and their longtime involvement with the Special Olympics. So with that said, let's jump in to our interview with Mark and Heather Preby, already in progress. How did the two of you meet, and how long have you been together? Uh, I was a police officer in Aurora, Missouri, just west of here, and uh, back in the mid-'90s. And uh, Heather's dad at the time was city prosecutor, but he's also uh, the Lawrence County prosecutor where I worked at. So, uh, But I was working in Aurora. She was a EMT on Mercy Earth then, back then, St. John's Ambulance. In that small little hospital there that's yeah, in yeah, Aurora? Yeah, okay, she yeah. worked on the ambulance and, and went on calls. So we worked calls together. Her sister actually, at the time, was dating a gentleman that was another police officer there and uh, tried to introduce her to me, and I wasn't about that. I was 21 and starting my career, and and uh, she came in to meet me, and I I was kind of young and dumb and didn't, didn't realize a whole lot, but... So I said hi and kind of walked away, and that was the end of that. And then a few years later, um, when she was working and I were working closer together, we got to really start talking to know each other, and and uh, she came back around and gave me a second shot. So, what I, I've always wondered what it is about cops and medical professionals that like seem to really attract each other because I know a lot of mm-hmm. those kinds of yeah. It's pairs. either it's either cops and nurses or medical people or or teachers. It seems like that's true too. Yeah, yeah a lot of cops and, and teachers. Cops, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's absolutely right. For sure. uh, is your version of events the same as his? What do you yeah. remember about first when you, can you even remember your very first meeting? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I remember it. I even remember what I wore. Okay. And uh, Your work uniform, I assume? No, I was wearing um, a purple shirt and white shorts and we got down there, the PD and my, my sister's like, hey Mark, this is my sister Heather. And he's like, hi. And off he went. And I'm like, how jerk. Rom- how romantic. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> And, you know, about the cops and um, medical professionals, I think it's one of those careers that you get each other. Like, working in the medical field, you work crazy shifts, you work crazy hours, you see crazy things. Same thing with law enforcement. The crazy hours, the crazy shifts, the, the kind of the people that you deal with, so you have things in common. And that's where you're able to talk and understand each other and what you've seen and what you've done for the day. Okay, so this is the mid-90s then. Uh, what's, what's your first date? What do you guys go and do in the mid-90s in Aurora? I remember going to Bass Pro. We came to Springfield and went to Bass Pro. I don't remember if we had dinner. And you bought me sunglasses. 
<laughs> I don't remember if we went to dinner or what. It's been 21 years 20, ago. That, I mean, you guys, yeah. uh, come on. You yeah. should be able to remember. It's not that long We've ago. had a little bit of excitement in the last 21 years. Sure. Okay. So, so. you guys start dating. How, how long were you guys kind of going steady? Oh, not very long. We went to a wedding for a friend of mine in March in Joplin, and Mark proposed to me that night. At the wedding? Yeah. Well, after the wedding. Okay. And then we... That Did was you know a, it was coming? No. Okay. And that was in March, and we were set to get married in September, and we moved it to June. Wow. And got married in June of twenty or 2000. Okay. So, Mark, how did you know that it was time to, to pull the trigger and, and show the ring? Um, I think a lot for me was, like Heather said earlier, is we kind of got each other, and I just had a peace about. I didn't have insecurities with Heather, and I was a pretty insecure person at the time. I, was, I was, didn't have a lot of life experience. And go, leaving the house and literally getting into law enforcement 21, uh, not having a lot of life experiences, it opens your eyes really quick and the way I grew up. And um, so, but I just, it, she gave me a piece and I just knew it was one of those weird things you just kind of, when you know, you know. And the longer I talked to her and, and uh, we found commonalities and stuff, I just knew it was her and uh, the hard part was going and asking her mom and dad if it was all right if I if I took her. How did that you know. go? Tell me about that. It, it went good. I didn't know him super well. Um, and, of course, he was being a prosecutor and me just being a lowly cop. That's kind of like, uh, it's scary. I mean, it's uh, it kind of adds on to it. But uh, it worked out, and they 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 were absolutely okay with it, luckily for me. And and uh, it's, it's worked out ever since. Did you grow up in the Aurora area? I grew up in Aurora. Okay. Yes. Like born and raised and had been I there was since born in Joplin and uh, my mom's family was all from Aurora. My dad graduated from Mount Vernon and so that's where we lived at. We moved to Oklahoma for three years when my dad went to law school but came back and he opened his private practice in Aurora and then he became prosecutor and I don't remember what year off the top of my head. 98, I think, and um, that's just where we've always, had always been. What what got you into the medical field initially? My grandpa, my dad's dad, was a DO in Mount Vernon, doctor, and I grew up in his clinic and always wanted to be nursing and medical, and so without a doubt, that was the field I was going to go into and always knew I would stay there and did that for 20 years and... Six years ago, I traded out, and now I do skincare. Uh, yeah, I saw that. So that's mm -hmm. quite a left turn going from uh, going from working on an. Did you work on the ambulance the whole time? No, I worked in um, family practice in a clinic for ten years. Okay, and then a and then a sharp left turn to skincare. How did yeah. that How did that happen? Well, I set out to do massage therapy, and the school closed, and so I called my friend Ashley, who owns Arabella. And said, what am I going to do now? And she's like, I need an esthetician. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I do waxing and I do facials and I can do relaxation massage. With my health the last couple of years, I haven't had the energy to do that. I've kind of done a few, but I look forward to the day I can do that again. So you but never got to go to like the full massage therapy school? No. Is that something that at, at some point down the road you would want to try again? I would do it in a minute, but I'm too old. Oh, I, surely I'm, not. Yeah. I turned 46 this last year, and with everything we've had go on, I'm sure. just too 
too old to go back to school for something like that. Deep but down, is it still something that, like, you oh, know, yeah. if you could kind of snap your fingers and make it happen, would you do it? So the thing about what I do and just, like, massage therapy is I always set out to help people. That's where my heart is. That's what I did healthcare for. And with massage therapy, you can do that. With what I'm doing, I'm still helping people, giving them confidence where they may need confidence or just making them feel better. So I'm still helping people. It's just in a different yeah, format. Yeah, sure. That's wonderful. No administration and no insurance that I have to deal with. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So. Just straight to people. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Right. So, Mark, uh, what got you into wanting to do law enforcement you said you did it pretty young did you start out doing kind of other odd jobs or exploring other stuff first yeah i was gonna go to college and then i got i started college right out of high school and about three months in when my grades weren't really good and i wasn't really focused on it i knew it really this wasn't at least the time for me to go to college so i came back home and lo and behold my dad was still working for general motors at the time they moved from michigan where i graduated from uh to mount vernon missouri and uh, so me going home was coming back to a whole new place that I'd never been to before. They luckily allowed me to stay with them in Mount Vernon for a little while until I found a job and got my feet under me. Um, worked some odd jobs here and there. Um, thought I was going to actually go into EMS. I, I always had an idea of law enforcement. I had an uncle that was a Detroit police officer. Uh, had known a couple police officers here and there. But after being he back here for a while, I realized that's what I wanted to do. So... Uh, I was 20 and went to Missouri Southern, had a police academy at the time, and I would drive down there each night and go part-time after work uh, for about six six or eight months, I think it was was what I had to do. I had to do 300 hours. A long hours. six or eight months. Yeah, so I did that, um, and then once I got my certification, I put out applications everywhere. I even went up to the Kansas City area, and uh, lo and behold, Aurora, Missouri was the first one that said, yeah, we'll take you. And uh, I was just excited to have a law enforcement job. I, like I said, I was young, not a lot of life experience. So I started at 21. That's the earliest you can start. And that's, that's, uh, I learned real quick. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So did you enjoy your time at Aurora? I did. It I was, mean, it's a much smaller town. It I know is. you ended up at SPD. Big yeah, difference. It is. I mean, I kind of had an aspect. You got to start somewhere. And uh, Aurora was a good place to start for me. There was a lot of good uh, officers and supervisors there that that uh kind of put their arms around me and taught me um and that were that backed me on stuff and um lo and behold aurora is also a, a good place to learn a lot of criminal stuff there was you know there's good and bad everywhere but uh, i got a really good mix of, of different things and i remember a springfield officer coming one day to do a transport ride we, we had arrested somebody that had a springfield warrant and uh, he was probably seven foot tall. He, in fact, he was. He just retired a little while ago. I met him, and I'm like, okay, that's what I want. I want to be. I want to be wearing one of those uniforms. Almost three years in, uh, there was an off uh, Springfield traffic officer that lived in Aurora that would come in every morning before a shift, and I was working overnights, and he would come in and have a cup of coffee, and on his way to Springfield, and uh, he kind of rec started recruiting me. And uh, so I went and tested, and luckily through my first testing, I got accepted in Springfield. So. And then had to go through the academy again. Again, yeah, six months of uh, every day, which, hey, they're getting paid. I was at least getting paid there. Sure, so, yeah, that time you yeah, were, sure. Yeah, that was that was a good thing. I was still living in Aurora, and and uh, I remember that vivid that first morning. I, I woke up, and I was excited, and I ended up gashing my knee open on a corner of a door because I was so excited trying to get in and out of uh, my bathroom. So, But it, uh, 
it was well worth um the the all the stuff that I went through to get there so okay so help me out with the timeline here so you said you'd been in Aurora for about three years mm-hmm. so you guys had already been married by this point yes not yet we, not yet not yet okay it so was 99 when I went through the May of 99 I started the academy and uh graduated with a December January and then we got married in in uh, June of, tw- of 2000 well okay so you were a Springfield rookie mm-hmm. at that yeah, point when you guys got married wow yeah. Our okay. F- yeah, our first place together was in Springfield in a little duplex. So. Wow. Okay. So you guys get married, and from what I've heard, law enforcement isn't usually like nine to five, especially when you're a rookie. No. <laughs> so no. how how does that work on your first year of marriage? Uh, we I was working. You back then we worked every shift, so you did a month every, of every shift, pretty much. You rotated. Wow. Uh, We probably saw each other maybe, and she was on uh, 24s or 48-hour shifts. Um, We probably saw each other once or twice a month, literally spent once or twice a month together. Oh, my gosh. During your first year of marriage? Yeah. That is, how long did that last? Heather left Mercy, or left EMS. Yeah, back, not not long after and went to the hospital working in labor and delivery and that helped her have a little more normal schedule at the hospital in Springfield or Aurora. Yeah. Springfield. Okay. So you worked at mercy Springfield at labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. How long did you guys go and then have kids when, uh, we waited till we were, uh, 35. So five years. Yeah. We had 30, right. And, uh, we waited five years, had Connor, our oldest is who was 16 and then it took us a little bit longer to have Chloe. She another six years, and we had our daughter after that. Okay, and how was it trying to parent and raise kids when you guys are both, you know, you're working crazy schedules, mm-hmm. a very stressful job. Uh, you, you know, your schedule got a little bit more stable, I assume, um, but still not exactly, you know, front desk receptionist type levels of stress. We're talking, you know... Uh, still in the medical field so tell me what it was like I mean raising kids during that time so I just kind of touched on this on a post I did recently on our prayers for preview page Um, throughout my whole life my dad was in law enforcement and then worked a career where he was called out in the night you know because they had a situation or um, you know he I'd hop up and go with him and we adapted and even so growing up we adapted and as us being married and Christmases didn't always happen on Christmas Mm -hmm. and Thanksgiving we didn't always have on Thanksgiving you just adapt and so that's how I've raised our kids is we adapt and it doesn't have to happen on that day it can happen another day as long as we're together that's all that matters and so throughout our marriage and me raising the kids when he was gone so much and on the shift we adapted sometimes it meant we got up earlier in the morning sometimes it meant we stayed up later but we just adapted to whatever he did and when he'd come home and say hey I think I want to apply for this position what do you think it's going to put me doing this I'm like we'll adapt you do what's going to make you happy and we'll adapt to whatever you want to do so the flexibility and just being willing to be you know adapt to it I can't get mad I could get mad but what was the point (laughs) right sure yeah 
So, uh, tell just briefly, kind of can describe the the personalities of each one of your kids. Connor, oh my gosh, that kid, he has a heart of gold. <laughs> he looks like a bear, bear coming at you, but he has a heart of gold. He's 16, he's six foot tall, 220 pounds, and um, he wouldn't hurt a flea. He is passionate about kids. Um, he's crazy about his sister. He wants to help people. He, too, wants to go into law enforcement. We've kind of talked about that this last year, but um, he's, he's just, he would do anything for anyone. Then there's Chloe. <laughs> she was born with sass, and she's continued with sass. <laughs> okay. She talks nonstop. <laughs> We always wonder if she has a mute button. Um, but again, heart of gold. She will be there for anyone. She's always wanting to help. She gets angry if she doesn't have a job to do. She wants to be everyone's friend. She wants to be there for you. But yeah, just know that if you take her in, you want a mute button. Okay, that's fair. So, Mark, you guys are having kids going on. What? And you mentioned kind of different positions that you took at SPD. What what kind of different positions did you have in the department? Um, I worked. You have to start out in patrol. I worked patrol, and uh, not long after Heather and I got married, we went from uh, working every shift. They started doing fixed shifts, so you would bid every year, and you you would bid by seniority. So I think that's how they still do it now. They do, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They do that now. So uh, early on, I was working uh, second shift, which is your five o'clock in the evening till three o'clock at night, uh, as a, as Connor was young, um, and then um, I moved into I did traffic for a little while, which gave me more normal hours. I was home in the evenings, uh, got back out of that, went back to patrol for a little bit, or and then did I did community services back in the day when we had a couple squads, worked downtown and actually uh, walked downtown square beat with another partner. Like an old-fashioned yeah. walk in the beat. That was We worked bar closes and all that. Did that I did oh, okay. that for almost a year, 11 months, and I had, I had enough of drunk people. And sure. I mean, that would be pretty much like it's not, the majority yeah, of your job. Always, yeah. <laughs> always, if you like to fight and, and get into stuff, that was the job for you. And I last the first six months, I had a blast, and then after that, it was like, okay. It's time for something else. I just all done do with this. Yep. So, um, um, I think I went back to patrol for a while after that. Um, this last stint, I, I did traffic again for three years, became a motor officer. Um, every uh, kind of the moves I made, Heather and I always talked about, I tried to keep, uh, into stuff that were my shifts to be pretty regular, or I could pick my shifts, I could make my schedule. Okay. Traffic, you know, you worked Monday through Friday typically, or Monday through Thursday. Uh, or uh, Tuesday through Friday, I was home in the evenings. Yes, you're on calls because of fatalities and stuff. Um, so I would get called out. Um, this last stint in traffic <laughs> seemed like the one year we got I got called out nonstop every time I was on call. But um, And then I left traffic and went back to community services. That's where I was up until all this happened last year with me. Um, and you know, I was a crime prevention officer, so really literally made my schedule for the most part other than some special events. And that's kind of something that I focused on was, yes, I got to do different things and stay fresh in the department uh, and not get burnt out so bad. But I tried to also, when I was making those choices, hey, this is, and make it easier for the family too. And I'll be around in better hours and be able to sure. miss sports and stuff like that. So I was able to help with baseball with Connor and and uh, and be involved in that when he was growing up and, and do stuff with Chloe as she was born. So um, I always, 
as Chloe got born, I was pretty much on schedules where I was home every evening almost. That's amazing because I know that's a that's a struggle in a twenty four seven you know type job where yeah. most of the major stuff happens in the evenings yeah. and you know and into the night. So yeah. that's very, always a, a struggle. Yeah, and I was just very fortunate. I mean, I yes, I got to do different things through my career, um, but uh, I think I think. I tried to always keep the family number one priority and I worked a lot of extra duty. Heather put up a lot of stuff so I could work extra jobs and have some extra money. She, she would have to obviously have to be home with the kids by herself more, more than less. And so she's, she's really uh, stepped up and, and just been there where I, where I was when I had to work. So, mm. so Heather, speaking of work, uh, tell me about what it was like working in labor and delivery. And did, did you enjoy that? Well, I kind of did that as a transition. And I was starting nursing school. I loved it. It was eye-opening. The nursing school part or the labor and delivery part? The labor and delivery. Okay. It was one of those places that, you know, I knew I wanted to be a mom one day. So, hey, this is going to be exciting. But labor and delivery is also sad. Mm -hmm. (coughs) You know, there's people that come in and they haven't felt the baby move. And you put on the monitor and there's no heart tones. So, um that was just a transition job. I started nursing school and did that for two semesters and quit. I just, I just, it wasn't for me. Mm, and yeah. then I transitioned to the clinic and um, did family practice and loved it. And it was Monday through Friday and eight to five. And I had a normal schedule for myself, the kids. And um, that way I was home and available for them when Mark wasn't. Okay. Um, I would like to ask about the Special Olympics. So how did your involvement with that come about? What what's your what's your passion behind that? What's what's that all about in your life? It's odd that actually when I was an Aurora cop, we did what we call a law enforcement torch run, which is uh, an event that helps raise money for Special Olympics uh, in every state. And I remember running a couple uh, times in Aurora with the Aurora officers. I wasn't one in charge, whoever organized it and got my shirt and did my run and that was the end of it never really thought twice about it i get up here to springfield and not it, it was several several years after i started they had off and on they would have people that would run that program uh, the law enforcement torch run within the department um but you have to have um senior leadership that are willing to uh let your people devote time and and be involved in those things well uh, we finally got a, a chief that um, had off, a couple officers that were running the program or a officer that was running the program. We would run every year from here to Lebanon. Um, some officers would. And uh, right after that, that officer left and I w- was helping with the run. And uh, next thing I know, they're like, hey, this is your, this is your puppy. I'm like, uh, what do you mean? I'm taking this over. And they pretty much handed it to me and said, yeah, this is, you know, you know what she was doing and how things were working. So now it's your turn. And that's unfortunately, that's sometimes that's how it works. But with that, I got, there's a lot of perks for me. I got to, to make some trips to Jeff City and other places and met some other officers and really started getting involved. Um, summer Games came here to Springfield. That was probably my big, not long after uh, the other officer left, Summer Games was hosted here. MSU, they had the, the athletes on the campus. So no kidding. Yeah. So I was the main SPD person to start organizing that and get the volunteers, get the cops for presenting medals, all that stuff. Um, so not only we do, we do our torch run and our fundraiser summer games is coming. I'm going to have all these athletes. So through that, I met 
um, Special Olympics um, employees and people that were running the programs, but a bunch of our local athletes and, and athletes throughout the state. Um, so that kind of hooked me a little bit now. So now I'm really more interested. So I just started doing that. was asked to be on the Law Enforcement Torturing Committee, um, which is a group of uh, law enforcement statewide that meets with Special Olympics Missouri people. Um, and we organize our fundraising and different events through the year and, and, and do our best to raise as much money as we can for our, our Special Olympics athletes. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing. I, I became still on the committee and, and was the coordinator here at the Springfield Police Department. I've got somebody that's kind of taken over for me and, and stepped up, luckily, this last year and a half. And uh, so we don't lose that program because we want to keep people interested and have the new officers coming in understanding what Special Olympics is and what, what the, it's about and what our law enforcement torture runs about. And literally, also, it, law enforcement torture was a grassroots effort that was started uh, years and years and years ago uh, by a chief that they started with a run and to raise money for Special Olympics athletes in Kansas. And that's kind of what it's gone from that to these. We do cops on top at Dunkin' Donuts. We do tip of cops at different restaurants locally. We were before COVID at least. And uh, we, any kind of fundraisers, we sell our our T-shirts every year, that kind of stuff. And the the longer I did things and got to meet, the, especially the athletes, that's your that's the pull. Mm, yeah. When you're when you're standing in front of an athlete that's on a podium and they're getting you're presenting a medal to them, um, just the excitement. They see our uniform, they see the badge, they understand who and what we are and what we stand for. They're always appreciative. There's never never I've never had a negative contact with any of our athletes throughout the state that i've met through the years um they're always thankful and appreciative of you which which in our line of work it's i think that's what's helped me stay involved is that was the one positive no matter what negatives were going on at work that was the one positive thing that i got to stay focused on and still deal with through each year and that's what's kept me kind of more involved i think um, and try to pull other people within the department. And the chief that we have now, Paul Williams, he's super supportive. In fact, he's on the board of directors now um, um, for Special Olympics Missouri, and uh, he's super supportive of our people being involved and in giving and doing as much as we can when it comes to the fundraising side of stuff. Wow, so it sounds like this was something that, oh, hey, this looks kind of interesting, I'll participate. Next mm -hmm. thing you know, it's kind of thrust upon you, mm -hmm. And then now we've got this big thing, but then you just kind of lean into it and yeah. it becomes your thing. I mean, it was, uh, it, as I've talked to some people who know you, it's almost like they say Special Olympics in, it's like you almost can't finish the sentence about saying Mark Preby without somehow including Special Olympics uh. in the same sentence. Like that's how closely it seems to be tied to you. Well, and the other thing with it is Connor, um, when he was, uh, eight, nine years old is when Mark started with Special Olympics and law enforcement torturing. And at 10 years old, he could plunge. And so he was so excited and so stoked. In that year, he raised like $1,500. He raised more money than any of the officers on the Springfield team did nice. Springfield PD team so the challenge for that was always there but Connor was on Mark's hip going to these events and at the MSU summer games and he had a passion for these kids and yeah he just spent a week up in Jeff City um, at a camp that um, based off how he performed and how he hit him and his athlete that he took Riley um 
it enters them for a chance to go to Orlando to the USA Games next year. Very cool. But to see these kids, um, I don't, I can't think of the word I want to use. Um, and I say kids, but they're athletes. They're all different ages. But, you know, the, they appreciate what you do for them just as we appreciate what they do for us. They put a smile on your face. And it makes me cry <laughs> because we're facing something now that these kids were born with. And they never let it bother them. They go to an event and they shine. And the people that are there support them at 110%. And there's no negative. There is nothing negative when they attend a Special Olympics event. I don't care if it's a dance, if it's a run, if it's a plunge, whatever it may be. There's nothing negative that happens for them. Mm, so this is something that I take it you guys are going to stay involved in. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And now passing it on to your kids as well. Yeah. And we don't even have any one in our family that's got a disability. Um, well, now we do. But prior to, we didn't even have that. So, you know, I it's really sad because Connor's tried to get friends involved for years and they just don't come forward or don't stick with it or whatever. And those, those athletes need mm. people like Connor, kids like Connor. And, um, just to have that support and, you know, that they have someone to talk to. And so for us, you know, this is out of our league. This is out of our space. This is out of our zone. But when you see the positive side of it all, you, you can't walk away and you can't say no and you can't not be part of it. Yeah. Wow. One of the things I talk about often is we're learning. We're 46 years old. Our kids are 10 and 16 and we're learning the life of, of being disabled. We're learning what it's like to try and travel. We're learning what it's like to find a parking spot. We're learning what it's like to try and get into a restroom um, or just you know, go stay the night somewhere. That's nothing's easy. And these athletes have dealt with those struggles from birth, whether it be the way they were judged at school, the way they were taught, the way that their upbringings were, that's all they've known. So for us, this is all new and it's a learning, mm. but it really makes you stop and realize that it is a struggle and it's not, while this last year has been a struggle for us, these people have had this struggle for a long time. And I wish that we could give to these people just as people have given to us. And that's our goal moving forward is we're working on the Pre-B Foundation and our goal is to give back just as people mm -hmm. have given to us. And whether it be Special Olympics or it be another child in the area or a family that's affected like we've been affected, you know, we, we just want to continue to show that it's a, it's hard. It's not been an easy year, but you can do it and just stay positive and keep looking mm. for the, the positive and the negative. Yeah. My, my mom used to always use the phrase, pull out the positives 
and the key word that I always heard in there was pull because mm-hmm. pull implies effort <laughs> you know right. like oh just be positive and think positive to me those phrases sound too easy because mm-hmm. being positive especially in the face of something that's really difficult requires pulling <laughs> you gotta right. pull it out yeah well and mark can tell you as long as we've been married and i know it was the job for him too in law enforcement but he he was always see the negative in something and I'd be like now turn around and tell me five things positive about what that was maybe it was the wall in the in the restaurant where you're in was purple and he didn't like it and I'm like but tell me five things about this area that's positive Mm. and so it's kind of continued that and it's just so much easier to be positive and look for the positive than it is to live the negative Mm. Mm. and in our world today that's what we need. Yeah. So, Mark, and obviously to the degree the, to the degree that you feel comfortable, what has the last, from your perspective, what has the last eighteen months looked like for you and your family? Um, a lot of challenges. Um, you know, it seemed like we were kind of cruising along and things were going pretty good for the most part, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm literally getting close to the end of my career, and and we're talking about that and and the possibility of retiring a little bit early just because I was I was kind of fed up with stuff and especially after protests and different things and um so uh we were kind of on this cruising thing where things were decent and we kind of had a plan and then next thing you know that plan is turned upside down um and I've told people this honestly uh, this has given me a second chance because I don't know how much longer I could last I was in a pretty bad place before mm. I was run over and not a lot of people know that and uh heather and i were struggling and and i was struggling and i wasn't the nicest person to be around and uh, for whatever reason i truly believe god he didn't do this to me but he gave me a second chance to where i can come back be a better person be a better husband be a better father um and and i'll make continue to try to make a difference yeah i can't walk and I can't be a police officer and make a difference in that aspect anymore but there's other ways now that I can find uh, amongst myself and then our family um, as a group to to be able to to do more and 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 be productive and be purposeful in our actions and and help others Um, and I think that's where special Olympics come in these these athletes from young kids to guys that are older than me gals that are older than me um, constantly, no matter what, it's not about winning necessarily. They just, they just wanted to be able to do what mm. the normal, a normal non-intellectual, uh, the, uh, a person with non-intellectual disabilities, um, excuse me, I didn't say that right. A person without those disabilities, um, would do every day. And these athletes, um, it's about teamwork and sportsmanship you, you know we see in the national aspect now it, if you can come to an, an event be it basketball flag football boat you whatever it is um, they're excited when they win but they're even more excited when a teammate or their friend from another team wins and even if they lose um, and that's I think is what's helped me is that you, you got to look at things differently you got to reshape your mind and that's what the second chance is for me is and I'm still doing it I still have to do it every day there's days that I'm like this sucks and I hate it, and I just can't get up out of this bed and go do whatever I want as quick as I want. Um, those days are minimal, I think, for the most part, uh, but I do have them. Um, but I think my time with our athletes, my wife honing into me the positivity, and like you said, you really there's times you got to pull that positive out. 
Um, but it's it's been a struggle. I mean, but we've stuck together. Um, our family, um, Heather, especially Heather's side, and my brothers have stepped up and and helped out where needed and come when they you know when we called. Um, our friends, people we know um, that we're acquaintances with, um, that know Heather from work and relationships through school. Um, this community has just wrapped their arms around us and lifted us up. People we don't know, um, strangers from all over the U.S., our law enforcement family, our blue family. You know, that's people talk about the blue line, and, and sometimes that takes a negative connotation, but we are family. We may not be, work together in the same agencies or know each other because we're states away, but there's family that have stepped up in different agencies from all over the U.S., um, different groups and, and I think that's what's helped us through this 18 months a little bit easier is that support from um, from everyone so yeah it's one of the things that I think has been incredible you know I have kind of a thousand foot view from it but people have really short memories about that kind of stuff right like there's there might be a drive or a fundraiser or, or you know trying to help somebody out and people will participate and be like, well, I did my part, you know, have a nice life and never think about it again. Um, but I still see prayers for preby stuff. People are still talking about it. Like you are in the hearts and minds of a lot of people still 18 months on. And I don't see that changing. Like the, the community has your family on its mind and on its heart and that has not dwindled from what i can tell no absolutely i think i mean we still have people that come up to us and say they're praying for us and and thinking of us and that kind of stuff that happens pretty frequently um i i think for us and that's been the thing is like you said a lot of times one and done you know hey i did my part and i left is that is that and it's not we're asking for more for us as a family but if that's where when we can get this pretty strong foundation started we can use that momentum of people that are willing to help us. Hey, now you're helping other law enforcement families or first responder families or other people in general in our community, depending on what we're giving to. Um, and that's what we want to build this to is, is take this momentum that people in this community have given us for us and then us to be able to give back. Um, okay. So where, where do you see that going in the next, you know, three, five years? Well, I want to back up a little bit on that is that, this year when as we were approaching the one year anniversary of June 9th um, I reached out to my sister and I was like I want to do something that we can send out across the United States even to our friends in other countries what what can we come up with that we can do that not trying to bring attention to us by all means but what can we do that would help somebody else and put a positive in their day and put a smile on somebody's face no matter what it be and so we kind of went back and forth and that's where we came up with the pay it forward and this is something you know the random acts of kindness these are things that again just like what you were talking about they happen one time and then people forget and it's not a routine thing you know a radio station may host it or a tv or somebody and so we did our pay it forward um for preview and we even have cards that we pass out <laughs> and um just that's our way of paying it forward it might be that we've um tipped a little bit extra we might have bought coffee in the drive-thru we might have paid for the six cars behind us um we have had stories from all over the u.s of people that do it and so moving forward for me it's keeping that as a reminder you never know what's going on in somebody's life and 
a smile can change somebody's entire day. And I learned that years ago. And, you know, when you're walking along and somebody's got their head down, if they look up and you smile at them, they're going to smile back. They may have the worst day of their life that day, but they'll smile back. So whether it be that you pay it forward by praying with someone, that you give them a pat on the back and tell them they're doing a good job or thank you for the job you do, you buy them lunch, you buy their groceries, um, somebody sent flowers to a nursing home to somebody. I mean, these random acts of paying it forward is what we want to move forward with with Pre-Be Strong. Um, we want to continue to pay it forward to others. It might be something small and it may be something big. At this point, we don't know. We still feel like God's got a plan for us, but we just don't know exactly what it is mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's awesome. So you've been getting stuff from like all over the country with people being like, Hey, I went ahead and did a, did a nice thing and I yes. kind of did it in, you know, yes. in your name or in your honor or for this cause. And but, but the, what a great thing to rally you were I see what you're talking about now with all the positivity and everything right. yeah it's it's like contag- like even you just talking about it, it's like contagious right well yes. and that's why I keep the preview um, Facebook page going is you know I, I've pretty well lost my personal page now because I have like 3,000 friends which I'm thankful for but there's days that I'm like I don't even know who some of these people are right but again when we put a post out and we put a video out, we get 2000 views. Yeah. And by hitting 2000 people, those 2000 people sharing it with 10 people. And then we spread this across the United States. And so we need to be that change, not just us, but our friends and family and those that are with us, the change that we need in America today and to make a difference in somebody's day or their life and, whatever it is that that they need or we need or whatever um but the prayers for preview page is a journaling tool for us but it's also a way to help someone else with shares that i've made or posts that i've made i'm transparent i'm raw i say things that somebody may not want to (laughs) hear but it's that's what i'm feeling and that's what we're going through and i know someone else is too and the other day when I did a post about Mark and his kidneys, within two hours I had 76 friend requests and 22 private messages. And the other thing with that page I want people to know is we read every comment and every message. Well, that's a full-time job on its own. It literally is. <laughs> and and there's days that I'm a little overwhelmed by it, but these people took the time to reach out to me and I want to let them know that I appreciate what they said what they've offered, what they've done. And I want to hear their story. Yeah. I want to, I want to be there for them as they've been there for us. And we've got so much ideas and suggestions and advice by having that. And I, it's something I can't imagine ever turning off and walking away. Yeah. You have such a a platform to bless others. Right. Is Mark, is that, is it, I mean, going through Republic and kind of, and your face is on billboards and stuff. Um, you know, I don't know if that's why you grew the beard so that way you'd be like, <laughs> eh, you know, that way you stay a little more anonymous, yeah. but you know, your, your face is on, on the doorway of a the coffee shop I go to. And, um, you know, of course now with social media, um, you know, Heather and you being able to kind of put out, put your journey. I mean, that does 
put you on a pretty public display. Does that ever feel uh, like, do you ever get uncomfortable with how public all of this has been on that side? You know, like I said, you've been able to do a lot of good with it, but just some of the the medical stuff you're going through. And I mean, does that ever, you're like, man, this is, this is a little too vulnerable for my comfort zone. For me, I'm a pretty, I was a pretty private person. I think when we were pretty private people, I mean, we have friends and stuff, but um, it's hard to see my face on our doors here in the community and, and on signs and stuff. It's difficult. And then I had to swallow a little bit of pride and, and you know, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't about me. It was for me. And so it's gotten easier over time. Um, and things have calmed down where, you know, and I'm not getting approached as much, uh, which is fine too, but we're happy when people approach us to talk to them. And, and we, we were in Walmart the other night and another person, he's a paraplegic, an older gentleman that was him and his wife, his wife stopped and we chatted for, Heather and her chatted for like 10 minutes and and I talked for a while and we talked equipment, we talked circumstances and we're pretty, oh, we didn't know him from Adam. And so it's stuff like that, that I think, um, as my career in law enforcement got, uh, longer and longer, I got in being in the units that I've been in and dealing with people. Um, I'm able to handle things better and actually come, you know, have conversations. There are times I'd rather be like, I'm just leave me alone and, but sure. But most of the time, we're I'm. I think that's the only way we can be is to be that transparent, be honest, and open. And 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 the, the folks that don't like that, then they don't have to follow us, and that's fine. But I don't. The majority of people are like they appreciate it because um, they see the honesty and be it whatever medical issues are going on. And I tell people, I told people early on too, yeah, that we're not perfect. And I told people early on, I'll, I'll you ask me questions, I'll answer any question you want. I'll go as into my private stuff and tell you exactly what I have to do every day uh, for a bowel movement. I mean, I'll, I'll, it's that way you, cause I didn't know until I, and I'm here. I had no clue. Um, the difference between uh, handicapped and wheelchair accessible, just cause you see a, a handicap sign doesn't mean uh, it's never, it's necessarily wheelchair accessible. And we're learning that in places we go, things that we do. Um, and that's kind of you know, the other side of the platform is to, to bring some education to people uh, things that that I did when I had my legs, and I'm like, you know, I never thought about it that way, and because I never was in a wheelchair, and now I think about it all the time, and we talk to people about it, and they, our friends, have changed the way they do do things because we've talked to them about it and explained about it, or we've talked about Heather's talked about it online. Um, so if it helps some one person or helps a hundred people, I mean, it's uh, I'm more than happy to be to be open and transparent it's 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 it really doesn't bother us yeah because cops are known for their very high walls they don't like to you know share personal details about their life and so i was like man this is it would be hard for me like trying to picture me in that scenario i'd be like no let's just not you know well and to touch on that too and like what mark was saying is um one of the things that we've learned within the police department is um the need for support and, um, you know, after Officer Walsh was killed, um, you know, things come together for a little bit and then they kind of dwindle, but keeping in contact with those other brothers and sisters in blue or people that were involved in that event that day. You know, Mark and I attended a debriefing a couple of months ago on his situation that happened on June 9th, 2020. And um, holy cow, we had no idea a lot of things like they these guys came in and put the puzzle pieces together for us questions were answered like right after the first guy started talking and and it helped us but 
we can see we helped them. And by us being there and being there together and letting them know that no matter what happened that day, we had no harsh feelings towards anyone other than this defendant, suspect, whatever. But the way that his peers responded that day, the way that the fire guys, EMS, um, everybody that had a hand in Mark's care that day, it doesn't matter. They did their job. And the struggles that they still have are something that if we don't continue to talk about or we don't continue to offer our support, then that leads down a whole nother mental health issue. And so by us being transparent and open and welcoming is, yeah, it's taking up maybe on more stress on us, but on the same side, we're in it as a team and we're in it to help each other and we're here and we're open and we want to hear your story or we want to be there for you. Are we trained professionals in it? No, but sometimes somebody just needs someone to talk to and by coming and talking to us, we'll never turn you away. Yeah. Wow. Never. There, there is not a, although the law enforcement community is start is, just what I consider at the beginning phases of coming around to mental resilience and mental well-being and people will see cell phone videos of a, a very simple traffic stop where a police officer just completely loses it and it's like yes but it's not about that traffic stop it's about the 15 years of different things that they've seen and been mm-hmm. a part of that have all built up to that moment and their their mental resilience just that the dam broke the the straw broke the camel's back at that moment and there's so much more going on behind the scenes with their family and like you said you know missing christmases and and straining of marriages and all of these things that it's like well that's just part of the job all right mm-hmm. what's the next call what's the next you know go to the next shift just get through it you know we'll mumble under our breath and complain about it um but never like fully embrace and address like the root cause of some of these issues, uh, let alone even like just to, you know, uh, you can have somebody that on like in law enforcement, it's like, I know you really well. We've worked together for 15 years. I don't really know about your family or your marriage mm-hmm. or your like they people in law enforcement are just loath to share those kinds of intimate details about themselves and their and their lives. And I think it's just now coming around to where people are starting to see that's one things i am encouraged with the younger generation of cops is they seem a little bit more in touch with their feelings you know and able to to verbalize that and see some of the salty dogs and go "Ooh, i don't know if i want to be that way well and when you take and you line up the list of careers law enforcement fire teachers nurses doctors and you you know go through it and you go okay he's a hero um because of the job that he does every day and the things that he sees every day. And people either look at cops as good or they look at them as bad. And it could be because as a kid, their parents got arrested or as a kid, they witnessed Mm -hmm. things. So they either look at you as being someone that you are always strong and you're always mighty or you're weak. And so then you go down and teachers always have a heart and teachers care, but teachers go through the same things. They break too. I mean, they have a kid in their class that they've struggled with all year, and then they go, I can't do this anymore. Um, Parents, you know, we all have those days where at the end of the day, we're like, okay, no more. I'm done. I'm out. No more. I'm I'm going to the motel tonight or 
just kidding. <laughs> Bye. We all say that or glass right, of right. wine. But anyway, I, you know, you just think back and law enforcement is put up on a pedestal in a way that they're tough guys and they can handle anything. But these guys and girls or ladies can be weak too. And you don't know that that morning that they didn't work a death with a child or that they didn't go into a crime scene where there was three babies that were dead, three kids that were dead. You know, these, these things that they see, you don't know what they saw that morning. So when they hit that traffic stop and they get an attitude, yeah, they're like, look, I just dealt, you know, I've just had the worst day of my career today. Or, you, I mean, you honestly do not know what they've yeah. been through. But, yes, they are heroes. They are strong. But just like anyone... They have a weakness. So what does the next year or 18 months look like for you guys? Well, for me, it's just figuring out that we can keep this going. <laughs> I mean, like making sure that we, we've we got everything still rolling along. As I say, let's keep rolling. Um, Mark's had some health issues the last few weeks that we've come across with his kidneys. And um, transplant is coming kidney transplant um so we've got that appointment coming up in st louis and that'll be in the next six months we hope and then from there i think we'll be in cruise control and can really focus on where we want to focus and that's you know of course our family and and our kids and our community and doing what we can to help others it's a lot of unknown um we're hoping to get this kidney thing figured out sooner than later and hopefully we'll find a live donor and but uh it, i think the whole thing is is, is like heather says not because i don't walk is that we roll we roll forward and we keep rolling along and and we'll find some bumps in the road and and we'll get past those and we'll just we're going to stay positive and as they come we'll deal with them and so it's unclear what the next 18 months holds you know connor's uh, going to be a junior in high school chloe's last year in elementary school um, so we want to make sure we're focusing on them too. They've had a hard year, hard 18 months. So those kids have stepped up and been amazing. Uh, I couldn't ask for more and, and Heather and everything that she does. I don't know how she functions every day, um, with everything that she does and she thinks about. So, um, I think all right now is just really being supportive of each other and, and taking one day at a time and, and, and to, to get into the point where, we can get on that cruise control and we can start giving back and really planning what the, our future is going to be and being able to give back to the community and be part of the community some more. So, um, if you were talking about kind of the learning aspect and, you know, uh, wheelchairs and accessibility and all that, what are like one or two main things that, you know, ignorant people like me, I, this is not something that I have to deal with and nobody that's really close in my orbit has to deal with. So just trying to inform people on how to be, you know, more considerate and thoughtful in ways that just doesn't occur to them. They're not trying to be rude or trying to make your life difficult, but what, what are some of those things that you would tell people to like, try to, 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 to consider or think about or keep in mind? You know, one is, uh, for us, you know, is we're fine. Cause I'm in a van uh, is a lot of the handicap spots say some of them say van accessible and some of them don't and people if they have a handicap placard they just actually park in them well I can't just park my van in any spot because I have to have eight feet um, mm. to be able to get off the ramp down and to be able to get out of the ramp so um, people don't really pay attention to that and or if they're pulling up next to a spot that's a handicap spot with the van 
you know, they're they're parking pretty close to the edge where maybe I won't be able to pull in and, and park there. I'll have to take up two spots somewhere else, which isn't a it's major ordeal. But when you're dealing with uh, now that I have the power chair, that helps when I was in the manual chair and pushing up hills and going longer distances. That was wearing me out pretty quick. But uh, I'd say that's one of the, the main ones. Um, no, I think the main thing is just um, just being aware um, when you go in the bathroom, there's one stall that's made for handicapped people out of 10 stalls. There's one. And, you know, Mark needs to get his wheelchair in there to do his, you know, his cathing and that stall's taken and he can't get into the one stall that he needs. And, um, just like with the parking, you know, the, there's yellow stripes on the side of some of those parking spots for a reason. And that's there to allow for a wheelchair. Now, I know there are people in cars that park, and that's totally fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But just being aware that we're not parking there because we want to. It's because we don't have a choice. Sure, yeah. And sometimes you get in a parking lot, and there's not two spots open. So we have to park way down yonder to even find a spot to get his ramp out to a point that he can come in and out of the van. We can't park next to a curb because the ramp, you know, or on a hill or different things like that. Um, travel. We traveled for the first time out of state a few weeks ago, and it was truly the thing I feared the most, and it happened. They broke his wheelchair, and the seat that they had us assigned to, I called the airlines and said it directly, trusting them, and it didn't work. And at every flight, we had to change our seats. Well, people pre-board or prepay for certain seats, and unfortunately, they were getting bumped. Mm. And so it's just, you know, again, we didn't want to do that. We set it two months ahead. We tried to keep from those things happening, and it happened. And we felt guilty, and we felt bad, but, you know, just know that it's not always their fault. Yeah. It's, you know, that's how it goes. But I think for me, it's just... You know, one of the things with Mark is he can't just jump up and go. So if you call our house and say I'm on my way, just know it might take a couple of hours. Yeah. So time comes into play with it. Um, it takes us a little bit longer to get going and get to some place, or he may have to leave earlier. He has to go to the bathroom differently. You know, it takes you and I a couple of minutes might take him 15 or 20. So I, I think that's mainly it. It's just we're still people and we're still your friends and we're still, you know, people that we were before. Yeah. And no matter what your disability is, you're still a person and you're still, you still have a heart and you still have a passion. And so one, one more hard question I would like for each of you to answer. What is your favorite restaurant in Republic? That is a hard one. Um, I would have to probably shout out to Village Pottery on this one. Yes, I love Village Pottery. I know. Yes. She makes that grandma's cheesy comfort soup. And I take a bowl in that fills like three bowls full and I can stick it in my freezer and have it when I want. Their sandwiches are amazing. And, you know, Sonia is just such an amazing person. We also spend a lot of time at Rocco's. That's been a second favorite of ours over the years yeah village pottery is like is republic's hidden gem it's exactly right man i love that exactly place. That, right. that's my go if i'm taking somebody out to lunch like 
That's mm-hmm. my go-to. If exactly. it's just me and one other person and you just want to sit. I love the sign they have that says, you know, pretend it's 1995. There's no right. Wi-Fi. Talk to each other. Right. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what this place that well, is all about. Well, and to have things that are homemade and, um, you know, just fresh and you know there's a i've heard rumors that they have like a vegetable garden out back yes, i don't know if that's they do, they do. Mm-hmm. it is true because i because when you when you eat there i'm like man all of this tastes so fresh mm-hmm. yeah yep. yep yeah shout out to village pottery what about you yep. mark that's a hard one we we like a lot of the places i think before my little kidney mishap i was uh, able to eat a lot more stuff um i love mexican food and El charles one of our places we go to or wherever we're going to all the time, but I have to watch what I eat obviously a little bit better now, but um, definitely El Charo on the Mexican side. We, we love that place. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Is there, uh, in closing, is there anything else that um, you want to add or anything you think has been left unsaid or any message that you want people to know? We just want folks to know, and we've talked about a little bit, is that uh, number one, we, we can't say thank you enough to the community republics in some, in Springfield and our surrounding communities that have stepped up over the last uh, year and and help provide for our family and and give back, be it uh, stuff for the kids, stuff for us. Um, I mean, whatever it is, if it's money and donations, buy shirts or hats, um, gift cards. We've got so many gift cards. I mean, just we can't say thank you enough, and that's our whole purpose and our whole goal is after we can kind of get our feet planted and get past these medical issues is truly start giving back to the community and, and doing things and being more, uh, involved. And, um, but thank you is, is my big thing. And, uh, and please don't hesitate. If you see us come up uh, because we have people that, well, I didn't want to bother you. Well, if you see us out, come talk to us. If you have questions, ask us. And, and we're never, uh, we're never going to shy away from answering questions or, or, uh, talking to folks. So, okay. Heather. For me, one of the number one questions I still get asked, there's like a handful that I get asked every day. And one of them is about the guy that did this to Mark. We know that the road with him is going to be a long road. It's not going to happen in the next year unless he just makes the decision to come out and say he did it. Um, 99% of the time, we never even think about him. We don't talk about him. We don't think about him. He did what he did, and we're rolling forward. Um, What I do say is that he has family too, and I've always tried to be respectful of that we don't know his family they might be listening to this they might be in our neighborhood we don't know who his family is but it's not their fault either Mm. and um so as we move forward with him in the courts through the years it's going to be tough and it's going to be rough and mark's going to have to relive that day in a way that he may not want to but um it is what it is, and we'll deal with it when we get there. But um, again, we don't think about him most days. We he, I don't want to waste my breath and the air that I do have about him. But I did want to touch on it just because it is a question that I get asked all the time is, you know, what does Mark think or what does Mark feel or how do you feel or what do you think is going to happen and, you know, do you wish he was dead 
you know, I said, somebody brought that up before, and I said, no, I don't wish he was dead. Um, because if he died, then he won what he wanted. And by staying alive, he gets to go through not what Mark's going through, but his own suffering. And so that's one of those things that I forgiveness isn't even an option right now for me. It may be one day, but at this time in our uh, journey, it's not. But I just wanted to touch on that, that, yeah. you know, that is a question. And, and again, if you ask us, that's fine. We'll answer. But, you know, most of the time we don't even don't even think much about him. Mm. So but just like what Mark said, just thank you for everything that you guys have done for us. And again, don't try to put us on a pedestal. We're people, too. And we have our issues. And um, but we're here for you. And don't be afraid to talk or ask or call or text or whatever it may be. Okay. Well, Mark, uh, Heather, I appreciate you coming in and uh, talking to me for sitting down for about an hour. And Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. All right. This has been another episode of Repmo Radio, where we talk to people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love, Republic, Missouri. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you will join us again next week.